It was the year when fans came back to stadiums, when England had glory in their hands and dropped it, when Lionel Messi was forced to tearfully end what looked like an unbreakable football marriage. A year where Manchester City dominated the league, but again shot themselves in the foot in the Champions League. A year where Thomas Tuchel swept into Chelsea and made them European champions. 2021 was the year of Robert Lewandowski rewriting history in Germany of Kylian Mbappe turning penalty pain into rocket fuel to propel his form forward and of Inter smashing Juventus's domination of Serie A. Oh, and that Super League th- Oh, and that Super League thing was weird, wasn't it? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. special year for our betting guru Marco Hare. Plenty of winners and the joy of becoming a father for the first time with little Molly now on the scene. Mark, how was your first Christmas with Molly? Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, Very, very nice. Um, Started quite slowly. Molly likes to sleep in in the mornings, which is always quite nice. um, Lazy, lazy. You need to to sort that out. (laughs) Well, she's taken after her father a bit. So um, yeah, we, uh, no, it was nice. Um, We spoke uh, with Sky of Australia my other half is Australian so that spent uh, most of the morning and then went over to my mum and dad's and had a nice meal plenty of laughs and was tucked up and tucked up in bed by what 10 p.m which is uh, very early for me on Christmas day but you have to now with a, with a little one so um yeah kind of keeping her in a routine and, and things are going pretty well so yeah thank you very much Kev it was good must have been special if he dragged himself away from the bet cave for consecutive hours. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have Mark Stinchcombe on the show this year. Always fascinating to get his thoughts for the short term and the long term. And his Sustainable Edges merchandise should be released early in 2022. We've got mugs, hoodies, the whole shebang. It's <laughs> going to be great. Uh, Stinch, how was Christmas? It was very nice. Thank you, Kev. Um, not as many football matches on, but unfortunately that's the, the way of the world, but certainly enough to keep us occupied. And, you know, um, main thing is being with friends and family. So as long as you've got that, that's all that matters. Well, let's start with the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday as Arsenal, who don't have Mikel Arteta because of COVID-19. So we wish him all the best with his recovery. Uh, take on Manchester City. Mark, first of all, City Eight points clear of Chelsea, nine clear of Liverpool, although Liverpool have a game in hand. Is this title race over already? Uh, I don't want to have to say yes, but it feels like it. And the market suggests it is as well. I think City are around 1.15 to retain the title now. Obviously, That Liverpool tells you and- a lot, doesn't it? That it does. kind of price. It does. You mentioned the, the points difference between the leading lights as well, but also the fact that both Liverpool and Chelsea have to go to the Etihad still before the end of the season. And they play each other at the weekend as well. So one of them is going to drop points, possibly both. So um, shout out to Stinch for, for sort of highlighting the fact that now was the right time to back City a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the outright prices. Um, yeah, it, it does look done and dusted, unfortunately. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm desperately disappointed. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like a feels quite sad, really, because I thought we were going to have one of the greatest Premier League title races in history. Really, three great teams all gunning for it. But um, you know, we're going around to the New Year's fixtures, and it looks done and dusted. Sadly, Stitch is that the way you see it too? Yeah, I just think this Man City juggernaut is, it's very, I think, almost impossible to stop in a normal season. But then you throw in the fact that Chelsea and Liverpool have suffered some 
Our key absentees, I would say, I think Chelsea have um, suffered massively without Lukaku because they were, weren't winning games by a huge amount. And when they started to concede a few goals, then it's not always, you need you need somebody kind of, I think, to rely upon in front of goal. And then in terms of Liverpool, I just think a couple of games, um, they were without Van Dijk, I think Tottenham away, probably should have lost that really, in my opinion. I know they probably dominated possession, but... Um, Tottenham had two or three really fantastic chances on the counter-attack and I don't think you'd have seen seen those with Van Dijk in the team, maybe Fabinho as well, um, to just go to show his sort of overall worth. Um, yeah, so I think it's, I, you know, I think a lot of credit to City. Um, you know, they, for example, they beat Leicester on Boxing Day without Grealish, Foden or Gabriel Jesus. Uh, and I spoke a lot about, I had sort of concerns regarding them not having a, an out-and-out striker, but that didn't seem to have been an issue really. So yeah, unfortunately, I think um, you know if you back City, you could let your let your bet carry on, or you know you know it's considering they're one point one five now, just trade out and um, you know don't worry about um, anything untoward happening. Um, you know in in what is sort of a you know um, a season where anything can happen really in terms of, you know illnesses and absentees and postponed games etc. So maybe just take. Maybe just cash out now, um, trade out, and uh, you know, bank bank the money. Mark, an interesting one. Stinch was talking about even without some of the attacking players, they were still able to rattle six past Leicester. There's been loads and loads of talk since the summer, really, about Harry Kane not going there, them not getting a classic centre forward. But I sometimes wonder if that is a little bit of an anachronistic way of looking at it now, because he asks his players to do so many things, Pep Guardiola, that even if you were to bring in, say, a recognised number nine, a recognised goal scorer, they might not have the overall all round game to actually fit in anyway. Yeah, potentially. Um, I think uh, he does ask a lot of his players, and you've seen Jack Grealish's transition into a being a Man City player hasn't been seamless. He's had his issues, and I know he's had uh, injury issues as well, but even still, we've probably not seen Jack Grealish play to the same ability that we saw last season with Aston Villa, and that's probably because he's still kind of getting to grips with what's being asked of him and kind of fitting into that system where the front four, front five kind of interchange and are able to do so many different things. And I think the beauty of the City squad or the City front line is the fact that all those players are very much on the same level. There's no one, no massive dip down in, in kind of quality if you change out a, a Grealish for a Foden or a, a Foden for a De Bruyne or a De Bruyne for a uh, Bernardo Silva, you know, Gabriel Jesus, another player who can just slot in there. Um, and that's the beauty of the City squad at the moment is they're all, you know, there's no, I don't want to say a, a elite world-class player because that's doing a disservice to some seriously good players. But uh, you can kind of compare it to, let's say, Liverpool with the front three or the front four, I guess. But if two of those are missing, then the quality does dip. And but Minamino and Origi are still quality players, but there definitely is a, a, a difference between standards there. Whereas I don't think there is that at City. I think they're all kind of eight out of tens at, at worst. So, um, yeah, I mean, City, I think as well, defensively have been very strong. Um, but also, you know, we'll talk about it when we talk about the Arsenal game, but kind of going through their numbers this season, uh, I think Jake's sort of drilled into this a bit more. But uh, I was just absolutely gobsmacked, really. When you look at their non-penalty 
expected goals supremacy on a per game basis. They're producing 1.7 MPXG more than their opponents every game on average, which is just beggar's belief, really. And if you're going to have that sort of dominance and be quite strong defensively, quite controlled with the ball, scoring goals early as well, which is what they've done very, very regularly recently, you know, it really leaves the opposition with very little to kind of play up. Play up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, fair play to City. They, they've been relentless, uh, particularly in the last couple of, th- well, couple to, to three months, really, just grinding out wins, 10 wins, I think, on the spin now in the Premier League. Very, very convincing, even if Brentford gave them a decent shift in, in the midweek. Um, it looks ominous. On that basis then, Mark, you talked about that Arsenal game. City are 1.57 favourites to go to the Emirates and get the win. I know Arsenal have been much improved. Uh, Mikel Arteta not there, although how much of a difference that makes in terms of the communication that coaches can have now, I guess we'll see. But where's the angle here for us? Where can we get a decent price from that 1.57, assuming that we think City are going to win the game? Yeah, I think you have to really um, for everything we've talked about. But uh, yeah, I think the Arteta thing, it's one of those unquantifiables. We, we can't measure how big the difference is of him being on the sidelines or not. But I definitely do think it does have a negative effect. The fact he won't be on the training ground and preparing his team for this match. He'll be in the, you know, I'm sure he'll be communicating with his his players before the game via Zoom or whatnot. But I do think it makes a difference. Um, Yeah, I think this is a, I said it too often now to to sort of have any bearing, but it feels like a a kind of litmus test for Arsenal to see how far they really have come. Because I think beating Norwich and and kind of putting Leeds under 12s aside comfortably is, is very different to playing Man City so you know in recent seasons they have struggled in this fixture I think it's 10 defeats in the last 11 nine of those were by two goals or more eight of which were you know without even scoring they've lost the last four at home to City in the Premier League without scoring and you know historically they do tend to fall short against the elite teams uh, they failed to score in five of the last six at home to the top five or top five teams losing four of those. And you look at their record as three to one shots or bigger at home over the last five seasons it's five defeats from seven one of the wins in that sequence was against Liverpool, who'd been crowned champions and actually totally outplayed Arsenal at the Emirates and, and, and lost that match. So, yeah, it's a big ask for them. Um, what I would say is they have been the best team of the rest. If you if you exclude all matches involving the big three, um, Arsenal have finished top of the tree in terms of actual points earned, expected points and expected goals as well. So they're doing something right and they are trending in the right direction, but they are still a long way off City standards. So um, I think Stinch has got a fantastic stat around City's first half which I'm not going to spoil but um, it's uh, it's unbelievable actually so I'll leave that to him to reveal but the fact that City are scoring early at the moment so regularly does leave the opposition with such a mountain to climb and um, I just don't think Arsenal are good enough to sort of chase a game against Man City and, and get a result uh, but I do think they can be competitive uh, you just wouldn't really want to oppose City so um, I think the boost from City to win at 1.55-ish to around even money uh, by just including under four and a half goals is a really nice sort of boost. Um, I think Arsenal can, can be can be competitive, but I do expect City to win this match, uh, possibly by, by one or two. So um, 83% of their away wins in the Premier League under Pep Guardiola have featured under four and a half goals. It's never a comfortable view to oppose goals in a City game under Pep, but um, I think on this occasion, the sort of even money offering is, is perfectly palatable. Um, I think a 50% chance for City to win this game, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4 2-1 or 3-1 is uh, is fair enough. 
Is there anything in backing the minus one on the Asian handicap as well? And if they win by one, you get your stake back. And if they win by more, presumably you'll have a you know something close to evens. I would think maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get the price up for you now. It's one point eight seven, which is absolutely fine. Um, I just, uh, I guess, I'm just counting on Arsenal being a little bit more competitive. And if you do look at City's away record this season, uh, they tend to be a little bit tighter on the road than at the Etihad. Uh, you look at them in midweek against Brentford. It wasn't an easy or comfortable ride for them. Uh, they just did the job and, and did it, did enough. Uh, I guess there's more opportunity for them to sort of uh, run riot in this match because the, the FA Cup is next weekend. They do get a bit of a breather after this, whereas the Brentford game, they probably will have had this match in mind you know, a couple of days later. It's arguably their biggest test for a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I just think City, if you can find some sort of City angle close to evens, you're in a decent position. But I, I personally thought with the, the fact that uh, so many of City's away wins under Pep in this competition arrive under four and a half goals as well, I think that kind of suits my my style. Now, Stinch, no pressure, but the world is waiting here. This first half stats, give it to us. Yeah, so City have played 20 Premier League games this season. How many goals do you think they've conceded in the first half? Ooh. Two. Two? That's quite low. (laughs) Yeah, it's too low. Uh, Okay, let's have a think. Six. Go on, six. One. Oh, I was nearly there in the first place. <laughs> you Jedi mind tricked me there. Your, your first guess was a bit anticlimactic for the actual answer. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible, really, isn't it? And you had to sort of double check it a couple of times to see if it was that, you know, it was it was true. And and it is the, the only guy that conceded in the first half of the season was Wilfred Zahar at the Etihad. It's just incredible. And no team has scored more goals in the opening 15 minutes than City with 12. And I put that number into context. Liverpool's the next best with six. So they're starting games quickly and they're not conceding in the first half. So I think we've been looking for a way to try and get City on side all season, haven't we? I mean, I remember last season, a lot of it was City to win an under 3.5. But obviously that's difficult to kind of back when they've been scoring seven, sixes, fives and fours. And as Mike's already alluded to, it's not the most comfortable of watch so I think I found quite a nice way to try and get them on side on kind of a regular basis, to be honest. Um, you can bat them to win the first half at evens. Now, considering City are 1-14 to 14 to score in the whole match and 1-3 to three to score in the second half, that means they're around about 8-15 to 15 to score in the first half. So I kind of feel as though that even money on them to win the first half is similar to the 8-15 to 15 just on them scoring if they do keep a clean sheet. And as I say, having kept clean sheets in 19 of 20 first half games. I'm very happy to lean on that angle, um, but I'm happy to boost that evens a bit more and back them to, to be leading at half time and then leading at full time. Um, I think we are happy to kind of get on board with the fact that if they are winning the match half time, the likelihood that they go on and win the game is quite high. And the boost from evens to 11 to eight, I think is, is a not, is a very not again, another very nice jump almost sort of boosting the sort of 1.55 by nearly a whole unit. Um, so yeah, Man City to be winning at halftime and full-time 11 to 8 is is the bet for me here. I mean, Mark's mentioned about how good a record City have got against Arsenal and Arteta. And this bet's actually won in 10 of the last 12 meetings as well. So I'm not sure what tactics Arteta is going to adopt with being in the fact he's not on the touchline. I'm not sure if that's going to play a part, but we know from, from beforehand that when Arteta takes on the likes of Man City and Liverpool, he does tend to sit deep. He does tend to try and hit them on the counter-attack. But generally, I think he ends up being too conservative and it literally just becomes a case of 
when rather than if the opposition scores. And give, as I say, given the fact that City have got off to these fast starts, uh, that's that's the route I'm going down here. And I think Mark's made a good point that um, they probably did kind of rest a little bit in the Brentford game with one eye on this match, given the fact they've got another break until, until the FA Cup next weekend, where undoubtedly they'll probably rotate as well. So, yeah, I think Pep Guardiola will just go out there and try and get the game done and dusted as soon as possible. Worth bearing in mind that our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet £20 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. Watford just about keeping their heads above water despite a run of seven Premier League defeats in eight. Stinch, you did say quite forcefully that Claudio Ranieri would struggle when he was appointed. And let's be honest, you've been proved right. Had any of the teams below them got their act together in that time do you think he'd be in a lot more trouble than he is now yeah maybe I think the postponements have played a part as well I think they had two matches postponed before Christmas and and maybe that would have been a little bit more emergency from the sort of Watford board Uh, Burnley have had a lot of matches suspended as well Um, Newcastle as you say struggled to get their act together Um, to be fair I'm not a Watford fan so it's not as if I watch Watford week in week out from everything I've read and the highlights I've seen Maybe they've been a bit unlucky um, to have to have lost all of these games. I think some of their fans are quite positive, quite happy with the appointment, quite happy with maybe the fact that at least the matches are entertaining. At least Watford, you know, offer something going forward. Um, obviously, very very porous at the back, and um, that's just something that arguably has just got worse since since Ranieri arrived. I'm not saying it's necessarily his fault. Um, but I, you know, as I, said, as I said at the beginning, wasn't convinced he was the right man um, to to get them out of trouble and and put them on a sort of a platform to um, stay in the Premier League on on a long term. Um, I mean, their games have just been mad, really. Forty eight goals in his ten games. You know, it's nearly five a match. Um, so you, you know, maybe you think, oh, a goal line in a Watford game, I don't know, two point seven five, maybe even three, um, but. Looking at this game against Spurs, again, set at two and a half. The odds are, are sort of 50-50, both five to six the pair. So I'm very happy to, to back overs here. Um, as I said, they, they still haven't solved the issue um, defensively. They've got they've conceded the fourth most goals the whole season with 35 and 17, so over two a game. And they're the only team in the league without a clean sheet. Um, but under Ranieri in the 10 games, they scored 15, but they've conceded 25. So... It's not as if they're they're getting annihilated off the park in terms of the the, the scoreline, but you know you can score one or two goals, but if you're going to be letting in at least two at the other end, obviously that isn't going to lead to many wins. Um, but I'm quite happy to to jump on board the overs, even though we're against a, an Antonio Conte team. Not that I'm going to say that sort of pigeonhole Conte's defensive manager because I think we've discussed Spurs quite a lot and. What we we all I think we're all sort of big fans of content and yeah. all expecting Tottenham to do really well under him. And to be fair, attacking wise, they have been quite good. I mean, I know they scored one against Southampton, but they had three disallowed. And you know, those sort of very tight VAR calls, um, that's not something that I think it's just unlucky at the end of the day, you know. Um in, I mean, in my mind, I don't even think they're 100 percent accurate um anyway. Um, but even before that, he scored 3-2, three, 3-2 two, three, two, and 2. So I'm quite um, happy with their attacking output. Um, the front three seem to be firing. Kane scored in his last three now. Son scored in four of his last five. 
Lucas Moura scored in three of his last five. So it's not as if um, they're just solely reliant on Kane. So it's yeah. quite good to see the goals are spread about. So yeah, I'm very happy to back over two and a half goals here at five to six. Um, I kind of feel as if this is something where Spurs could maybe go there and win three nil. But Watford, you know, as I say, have been have been very good going forward in terms of scoring goals. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis is is like a breath of fresh air, completely different player to what I saw when he was at Cologne in Germany. Um, things really didn't work out there, but he seems to have hit the ground running and um, going just going from uh, confidence to confidence. I think he's been called up for uh, Nigeria and the African Cup of Nations. That could be a big miss for Watford, uh, so maybe worth looking at them relegation-wise. That's if the African Nations Cup goes ahead. Uh, lots of ifs and buts, but here and now, very happy to be back in goals at uh, five to six. Yeah, Mark, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I made the error of tangling with Arsenal Twitter a few days ago uh, about the pace of change at Arsenal. And they were all, oh, he's only had two years and he's got rid of the toxic dressing room culture. Yeah, fine. But Conte's gone in there and in a few weeks, Tottenham looked totally different. Now, it's harsh to compare Mikel Arteta to Antonio Conte, but... You look at Tuchel when he got to Chelsea. You look at Conte now changing the culture straight away, changing the level of organisation, all of that stuff. It doesn't have to take two years and lots of transfer windows and lots of money to change these things. No, not when you're a league coach like like the player, the, the coaches you mentioned there. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've liked what I've seen from Spurs. I think it did take a, a couple of games to get going. They were disrupted, of course, with COVID and international breaks and everything else. But uh, it's certainly trending in the right direction. And clearly, the market starts to is starting to fancy them quite hotly as well. Uh, West Ham around evens away at Watford. Uh, Spurs are trading around what 1.66 or, or shorter. So, but it was a weakened West Ham team that went to Vicarage Road. But Spurs have got a pretty healthy squad. Um, going away to Watford uh, I think Romero's the only first team absent uh, player um, and they're you know they are looking good they were frustrated by Southampton I do think there's probably still an element of, of Spurs kind of finding their feet and trying trying to unpack kind of deep line defences um, the red card allowed Southampton to sort of sit back in their shape and invite Spurs onto them and I think Hasnotel is is doing a great job uh, in terms of organising that Southampton squad which is pretty rickety at best but uh, they did have 11 shots on target Tottenham probably did deserve to win the match on, on balance of play. Um, but I wouldn't put Watford in the same sort of bracket as Saints in terms of defensive resilience, structure and organisation. They're, they're far from it, really. So, yeah, I'm taking a, a similar-ish approach. I think there will be goals in this game, but I think Spurs will be the ones to to come out on top because Watford were, were very... For me, disappointing from a defensive aspect against West Ham midweek. Uh, There's a great opportunity for them to get a result against the West Ham team. Missing Declan Rice, missing three of their first choice back four as well. Uh, they started so well, but just unraveled and were just far too easy to play against, really. And, and West Ham could have easily scored more than the four goals. Uh, they lost Kiko Firmenia as well to injury. The squad's already pretty stretched with, with illness and injury. Uh, 12 defeats in 17 this season, 8 and 10. Under Ranieri, um, Stinch has talked about the defensive numbers as well, so I won't go over them. But yeah, I can see Spurs scoring twice here um, and winning the match. So I think Spurs to win and over one and a half goals around 1.9 is where I'd be heading here. Basically back in Tottenham to win by any score, but it's not 1-0. Uh, now more than half of Watford's home matches have featured four or more goals. Um, and since the reigning Ranieri arrived, eight of 10 have gone over two and a half. So they've actually scored at home against Man City, Chelsea, United and West Ham. So you wouldn't discount them getting in on the act. But ultimately Spurs are, are too streetwise and there's too much quality in those forward areas for, for Watford. So, yeah, away win and over one and a half goals. 
Now, do you feel an unfair moment has cost you a winning bet? Well, let Dimitar Varbatov know. He's called Dimitar Berbatov, but we've used VAR to call him Varbatov. It's wonderful. Uh, let Dimitar Varbatov know and you could get your bet paid out. Send any examples over the weekend to at Betfair on social media using the hashtag VARBATOV and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling. Now, Norwich have not had the bounce they were looking for since Dean Smith replaced Daniel Farker as manager. Uh, they go to Leicester. They are 8.8 outsiders in the match odds market. Mark, they've got a big decision to make in January, don't they? Because the squad they've got is is not up to this level. There's There's no question about that. So do they spend more money in a bid to stay up or do they just accept the situation and go down because they are in it because nobody really has been cut adrift yet. They are. That's what I find so bizarre about it is they're still only three points away from safety. And, um, and they are yeah. rubbish, aren't they? I know they we're are. an analytical show, but they are rubbish. <laughs> they are rubbish. And um, to me, it just it's not a great reflection on the Premier League. The bottom six or the bottom five are, are rubbish. Uh, all of them are rubbish. And uh, Norwich just happened to be probably the worst of the bunch. But recruitment in the past two seasons going into the Premier League campaign has been poor. Um you know, Weber needs to tell, sort of take a, a backseat here because he's had a lot of rave reviews for his work done at Norwich and, and absolutely full credit to him for that. But recruitment has been poor. Um, but you look at the team so far this season, 13 defeats in 19. They've only scored eight goals. Two of those are penalties. They scored four goals from open play. And away from home, they've only managed three goals in nine games. And I think midweek, they fielded arguably one of the worst starting 11s in Premier League history against Crystal Palace. And I know injuries and illness contributed, but there was no Pookie, Cantwell, Aarons, Krull, Norman, Zimmerman, Hanley, loads of others as well. But it's getting quite ugly there as well. And Dean Smith's hands are tied to a certain degree until January. But uh, the fans are sort of taking Billy Gilmore to task. And it's kind of like pick your battles there, lads, because he's he's arguably one of your brightest prospects there. And you've got him for a season. Look after him uh, and find him in place in the team because he's going to be one of your better players. And it's all getting a little bit ugly and despondent. And yeah, it just feels like a good time to sort of oppose them again because um, Leicester, you know, I don't like Leicester this season. I've, I've held my hands up on that. I've, I've said I, I don't think they're good enough. The 1-0 the win against Liverpool was the biggest surprise, I think, of, of the Premier League season to a certain degree. How that It's game a really weird game, that, though, wasn't it? Because, I mean, Jurgen Klopp came out afterwards and said, look, we didn't play well. I didn't think it was a good performance. But Salah scores the penalty. If Schmeichel doesn't produce a wonder save from Salah, if Mane puts a chance away that normally put away nine times out of 10, maybe even 14 out of 15, then it's a totally different game. Yeah, 100%. There was two or three really key opportunities for Liverpool that didn't go in on another day. They do go in. But I think, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed in Liverpool in the last probably half hour in terms of they weren't able to sort of really open Leicester up. And that was very much a square pegs and round holes defence for Leicester. So, yeah, it didn't drastically change my opinion on the Foxes this season. I think they've fallen well below the standards that they've set in previous campaigns. Injuries have contributed, of course they have, but things like set piece defending have been abysmal really and, and that's coaching on the on the training ground which needs uh, needs working on but uh, what they do have is firepower creativity and, and finishing ability which can hurt any team in the Premier League and they're very lucky this game is taking place uh, this weekend rather than next weekend because Amartian and Didi basically the two makeshift centre-backs will be going off to AFCON so you know they're already missing Evans and Suyunchu and a whole host of defenders as well so but uh, yeah I guess they're lucky they're playing a Norwich team who just can't score at all so yeah it's it's hard to be positive about Norwich going into this game. 
do they have the ability to outscore Leicester? Well, not, no, they don't at all. And, and if Pukki's missing as well, then absolutely no chance. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they've lost the non-penalty expected goals battle in 15 of 19. They've had fewer shots in the box than their opponents in 16 of 19. And I think the way in which Leicester smashed Newcastle here 4-0 earlier in December, uh, you've got to fancy them. They've got a decent record against the bottom seven, four wins from six unbeaten games, scoring 15. Um, so I looked into the exchange. You can get Leicester minus one and a quarter on the Asian handicap at just shy of 1.9. And that means if Leicester win by exactly one goal, we only lose half of our stake if they win by two or more. It's a full stakes winner. Um, Norwich minus 34 goal difference after 19 games. They lost by two goals or more in nine of their 13 defeats, including five or six away and four of their last five as well. So uh, I think it would be a surprise if Leicester don't get at least two or three goals in this match. As we've already mentioned, West Ham produced a much-needed win at Watford. Now they visit Crystal Palace for a London derby. The Hammers are the 2.34 favourites here. Stitch, this is really interesting, isn't it? Because David Moyes even seemed a bit baffled about why things had gone wrong for West Ham, but they did get that impressive win at Watford. Palace smashed Norwich, but, you know, no gold star for that. Uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta scored, which I think is the seventh sign of the apocalypse. So it's a really weird scenario with Palace, isn't it? Because they've had lots of praise. I understand why, because they're playing a different style under Patrick Vieira. But then you look at the results and it doesn't quite match up. Yeah, I'm not going to enter the, the winter or win market, to be honest here. Um, but I, I, am a, I am a fan of what Palace are doing. I've been, been impressed with them. Um, I think that's why we look kind of look beyond the results. For for example, they're very unlucky not to win at the Emirates. Um, yes, you know, they're two one up. They 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 really played well. They deserved the win, and then yep, just happened to concede a goal in, in the last minute. And you know, if you've got a young sort of team, which is what Vieira is trying to build, you know, you've got uh, Gui who coming from Chelsea's centre back. Um, Tyrant Mitchell has made that left back spot his own. You know, two young players there in itself. It's, it is going to take time and. I think we've said it before as well. The league table doesn't always tell tell the, hot, the 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 real story, and even over thirty eight game sample, it sometimes isn't enough um, to give a, a complete picture of how good a team is. So I think this Palace project, I like what we've seen so far, and I think in a few seasons could be sort of you know if they continue how they are, they keep hold of the good players, could sort of cement themselves as sort of a you know top ten team. Um, so, and you know Conor Gallagher, for example, looks fantastic. I know he's only on loan. But it just goes to show that, you know, maybe the difference between him going to Palace on loan and Billy Gilmer going to Norwich on loan, you know, how they've sort of been integrated into those teams. Um, yeah, I mean, before West Ham went to Watford and, and not, no offence, but, you know, Watford away is not the hardest game. West Ham had only won one of the previous seven. So, again, it's not something I really want to be touching West Ham at the price. I'm very happy to go for goals again, to be honest. Um, over two and a half goals is at 10 to 11. So it's the outsider of the two. And for me, both 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 teams do play attacking football, do try and um, be progressive. Um, you know, you look at Palace, certainly the move away from Hodgson has been breath of fresh air, really, I think. Um, you look at it before, there's a huge reliance on, on Wilfred Zaha. Uh, last season, only him and Benteke scored more than four goals for Palace. This season, they've already got four players on four goals. And then, you know, as you say, like players like Mateta are coming in out of the cold who I, I really rate and, you know, was Mainz's top goal scorer for, for a couple of seasons. I like him as well. I was being mischievous earlier. I do quite like him, actually. I think, you know, we, we've spoken before how um, Zaha, how much he moves the price. 
for Palace when he's not in the team. Yet you only have to look at the fact that they were short odds on at home to Norwich without him. Just goes to show, you know, the market is happy to accept now that Zaha isn't the be-all and end-all of this Palace team, which is really refreshing to see. I really like Odson Edward. I've been a huge fan of Benteke for a while. I know he lost his way seemingly for a couple of seasons, but he seems to be back now. Um, back end of last season, he was scoring goals. So it's not, not just this season. So, yeah, very, very happy jump on overs. Uh, 11 of Palace's last 17 have gone over 2.5, so 65%. Um, Palace's games averaging uh, nearly three a game, 2.84. And I talked about, you know, season seasonal data. I had a look over West Ham, the last 38 games, 25 of them have gone over. So again, a similar sort of percentage. And their games averaging 3.1 goals per game. Um, and they've only kept four clean sheets themselves. And we've discussed the fact that, you know, we think they are um, vulnerable defensively without Ogbonna, uh, especially, and Zuma. And, and centre back, and when these two met earlier in the season, West Ham were big odds on. Actually, West Ham were about uh, eight to eleven, and uh, Conor Gallagher scored twice for Palace, and um, and they finished two two. So I think I'm envisaging a similar sort of game, not quite a basketball match, but I think there is going to be times in the game where we'll be back and forward. So yeah, very happy to jump on board overs again. Now, Stinch, you always have a, a look at the long term as well as the short term. You do have an outright bet that you wanted to discuss, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I hope it's OK because it's not Premier League, but, you know, it's... I'll uh, allow it because it's you, I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, it, it is the season for giving, right? And I think it's quite nice going into a new year um, to have like a, a long term bet to cheer on. And, uh, and this has kind of been in my radar for a while, Um probably for a good sort of six or seven months, to be honest. So it's all about trying to find the right time to jump on. And I think this is this is the right time. So I'm looking at Wrexham to win the English National League. If, if uh, listeners aren't aware, um, you know, Ryan Reynolds and uh, another uh, colleague, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on, on the owners and what they get up to, but I know they're wealthy um, and I know they're pumping money into Wrexham, which is why uh, they are short prices to, to win the league. But because of the start they made, they, they fell away. You know, they were mid-table for a while, but they've been on a really good run. And now they're up to third in the league and they're just one point off the top. Well, they have played two games more, but, you know, it's only, you know, it's a 40, I think it's a 44 game season because uh, there's only 23 teams in the league. So it's a long, long, long way to go. And basically going to rely on the fact that they've got money to spend. We're just about to enter January. And I think this is the, the great, the best time to, to get involved, really. I mean, the top nine in the league is ridiculously tight. There's only five points splitting them all. Um, so I feel as though like it's not it's not like just the top teams they got that are going to drop points. Those teams in around them are going to drop points as well. Um, Erexon have won seven of the last nine, and I just really feel they're hitting hitting their stride as we enter the sort of second half of the season. They got the second best goal difference in the league, um, and the boss is uh, Phil Parkinson, you know, who's had success elsewhere in the past, and uh, you know he's, he's mentioned that they're in discussion with a couple of quality players to add in January. So I am expecting some signings to be coming in as soon as the window opens, really, or at least some point during the, the next month. Um, there's no fans allowed in Wales at the moment. I'm not sure how that's um, going to be going on for. But it's actually, they've actually struggled at home. They've only scored eight and nine at home, but away from home, maybe when the pressure's off, um, they do have quite a good Russia support away from home. They have There's a lot of fans, I think, have fallen back in love with Wrexham. 
um, with with the, the change in ownership. Um, they've actually bagged 29 goals away from home and the next highest is 20. So it just goes to show maybe when the pressure isn't quite there. Um, so maybe it might be advantageous. They haven't got fans. I don't know. I'm just kind of, you know, making it, making everybody aware um, before they sort of blindly go in. Chesterfield are 13 to 10 favourites at the top. But the worry for me is about them keeping hold of their, their star striker, Kabonga uh, Tishimanga. He scored uh, over 50% of their goals. They got him on a three-year deal in the summer. So it would command a decent fee to, to take him away. But I feel like somebody, League One, League Two, has got a bit of cash, could maybe tempt him away and could maybe try and you know complete their promotion puzzle by, by prizing him away. And also, to be fair, if he doesn't score, it's like who else does score for Chesterfield? So can't get him bored on them at 13 to 10. Um, and the thing, the main thing really with Wrexham is their closing price. Now, I'm a big fan of closing price because all the information I've already talked about is, is included in the price, in my opinion. Um, you know, the people that are betting um, to, to form these closing prices, they are very clever. They are very intelligent. It is your Asian syndicates, it is your professional gamblers. 11 of Wrexham's last 12 matches, they've gone off odds on. And if you look at the prices when they're playing against teams in and around the top of the league, Wrexham are big favourites. So Halifax, who are second, they went off six to five away to them. Chesterfield, I mentioned, who were top, they were six to five at home to them. And Stockport, who've got a bit of money as well, Wrexham went off 11 to eight favourites away to them. So it's clear that Wrexham are rated the best team in the division. You can get Wrexham at 10 to three to win the league. There is four to one out there as well, um, but I'm very happy anything above three to one to be back them. I just think it's a really nice bet to be able to cheer on um, for the rest of the season. You haven't got to worry about backing them week in, week out. As I say, they're already going off odds on a lot of the time. So it's not prices you want to get involved in, really. But I think the outright price makes plenty of appeal. Ah, I'll be one to keep an eye on. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So Betfair is now offering no cash out suspensions on match odds, over, under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Massive game at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Liverpool, the favourites for this one as they go to Chelsea. Both teams coming off disappointing results and performances. And Mark, this is only going to help Manchester City further. Yeah, it will. One of these two teams are going to drop points. And uh, basically, in my mind, this if I'm Chelsea or Liverpool, this is definitely for me a, a must-win match if you're going to have any sort of aspirations to win the title. None of this sort of must-not-lose mentality. You have to go into this with a, a real sort of positive mind frame and you know take the foot off the pedal and, and be uh, anything but pragmatic, really. And, and games between these two teams tend to be quite low-scoring. Nine of the last 12 have been unders in the Premier League, but that's certainly not the way I would be approaching this if I was going to have a bet. Um, I can understand the move towards Liverpool. There's been a, a load of money come their way after the Chelsea-Brighton game. Chelsea weren't impressive, didn't deserve to beat Brighton at home. I think Brighton had 18 shots in the match and, and definitely deserved their points. But it's also the fact that injuries have been kind of piling up. I don't think N'Golo Conte is 100%. He was kind of brought off the bench to play in that match. Um, Rhys James and Chilwell are out. Thiago Silva and Christensen are out as well. Um, so the defensive midfield uh, are both looking very short for Chelsea. Um, I know Romelu Lukaku's made a good impact in the last two games as well. But uh, ultimately, they've not looked 
massively impressive in the final third in terms of creativity and, and creating opportunities. And defensively, I think it's two clean sheets in 10 now in the Premier League and they've dropped points in, in majority of those matches as well. So, yeah, Liverpool have got the slight rest advantage. They didn't have to play on Boxing Day either. Um, Robertson still suspended. Thiago possibly back as well. Probably should have beaten Leicester. Um, and I think that result will definitely kind of... Um, get Jurgen Klopp kind of into his team and, and demand a much more improved display to try and get the results here. So, yeah, I, I found it quite difficult because I thought last night, uh, we're speaking on Thursday morning, but Wednesday night, I thought Liverpool draw no bet was a really nice angle around 1.8. Unfortunately, the, the money coming for the Reds has seen that price completely evaporate. So there's nothing really for me here. I think Liverpool are the most likely winners. Um, I think we will get a, a good game here. Ansi Taylor is the referee as well. So um, potentially there's a bet builder to be had closer to, to kick off on cards and uh, something Liverpool based, potentially Liverpool to score twice or more. Uh, Liverpool double chance and, and then two cards each because uh, Taylor does have a, a habit for kind of handing out the cards in big matches. And I think this is a, a must-win match for both of these two teams. So it should be uh, you know, reasonably entertaining. But uh, I would side with Liverpool, even if the price isn't appealing. Yeah, Stinch, Thomas Tuchel was approaching Basil Fawlty-esque levels <laughs> of annoyance after the draw with Brighton. How many, how many kind of concepts did he blame for the, the performance against Brighton? Oh, <laughs> there were the many. Injuries. Yeah. Christ. He was not a happy man, Stinch. Um, it's not been going well. I mean, Mark's alluded to that, you know, statistically and in terms of the performances. Is midfield the big issue for you, do you think? Because they, they have been a bit light at times in there uh, with injuries. They're, they're just not quite as efficient as they were. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the, the sort of main problem is because I know I know they are suffering with with missing their best players. But for me, the the main thing is we, we were such a big fan of the fact that they were keeping all these clean sheets and they yeah. weren't giving up chances. And it just seems completely bizarre that they started shipping you know three at Zenit in a game that we all expected them to put in a professional performance to finish first in the group. But they've been very fortunate, obviously, to join Lille um, as as, an, as the other group winners. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure if there's anything specific. Um, probably, you know, I think COVID is playing playing a part F- from 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 my side. Um, I find that the the lack of transparency with the rules is is difficult. I don't there doesn't seem to be a, a set you know set. Set a set of rules that is applied across every single game because yeah. I think Tuchel wanted as as asked for other games to be called off, um, and it, and it wasn't agreed. Yet you see some games get called off sort of two hours before kickoff. Um, I think there's a lot of grey areas. Um, I don't think the Premier League. It's no surprise they're maybe not coming out with a with a statement because they maybe aren't making decisions fairly across the board. I'm not sure. Well, there's no uniformity at all. I mean, I'm led to believe that in La Liga, for example, where if you have to play kids or you don't have to play kids, if you've got 13 fit players plus a goalkeeper, you have to play. It's as simple as that. So I don't really understand why we don't have that here. Yeah, I think, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I agree with like having integrity of the league uh, in terms of, you know, teams shouldn't really be, be penalised. But it's the world that we live in now. Yeah. And there's a reason we have a schedule is because we've got other competitions, other games that need to take place later on. So these games need to be played. These teams have spent millions and millions on uh, their squads. I mean, I'm not just pick, going to pick on Chelsea, but we we all know they've got literally a whole team out on loan. 
There is something absurd, isn't there, about a club like Chelsea? And again, I don't want to single them out, but they are an example. Okay, anyone, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, you know, the, the hundreds of millions of pounds get spent on this. They've got these under-23 teams and they must be able to find enough fit players to play. And I understand the argument about integrity, but where's the integrity in having a backlog of about 10 games in the final you know, five weeks of the season. There's not much integrity in that. So I think there's an element of, we just have to kind of get on with this, don't we? Yeah, I mean, surely when these games get played later on in the season, similar arguments are going to be had. Oh, we've got to play six games in the space of, you know, uh, 20 days or something yeah. like that. It's just the same argument's going to rear their head. Uh, and, you know, we've got a World Cup to try and fit in as well somehow. So, and, you know, player, it is important that players have do have rest. Don't get me wrong, I am in agreement, but, you know, that rest comes during the off-season. Yeah. If, if you want to start eating into the off-season, then I just think it creates more issues. So, yeah, I think I think we just got to try and get on with it. You know, we all wanted some sort of return to normality. Um, I, I, think it was, I thought it was kind of bizarre with, you know, being watching Leeds being forced to play with their under-13s. And then I'm not sure how many extra cases because it, does, it doesn't seem it's communicated. But then all of a sudden when Liverpool were due to play Leeds, that was that was called off quite early. Um, so, yeah, I don't really I don't really want to get into it because I don't really know that all the ins and the outs. Yeah. Um, but in terms of this match, I had a look at the odds. Um, so I wanted to try and work our way back from when Liverpool played Chelsea at the beginning of the season. I think it was the third game at the end of August. And Liverpool were almost six to four at home in that game. And I think we were all of the agreement that Liverpool and Chelsea, we had them very similar in terms of where, where we thought they they were going to finish. I mean, I think Chelsea were very slight, uh, slightly short to win the league. And I think that kind of married up with 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 our with our thoughts and with, with the prices. Um, but I think we're all now happy to kind of suggest Liverpool uh, are a level above. I think definitely in terms of going forward, in terms of creating chance, I think they actually have created more expected goals than Man City this season. And I think Jake on the last podcast gave a, a really good uh, argument that the fact that Liverpool and Man City are slightly above Chelsea. Uh, yeah. I think he, the expect goal, expected goal difference or... Um, between Chelsea and Liverpool Man City was, was quite a big gap. So I think that game where Liverpool were almost six to four, I think probably would have been fair that Liverpool maybe six to five um, if they were equal ability. So if we said that they were slightly above, that would make Liverpool around 21 to 20. So for this game, if we remove that home advantage and gave it to Chelsea, that would make Liverpool around about two to one. So even with all of Chelsea's personnel issues, Liverpool two to one to thirteen to ten. It's just it's just too big a leap for me. I think Mark's paint, painted a really good picture of how the money has come overnight and just continued to push that price. And one of the things that happens is when money comes from the syndicates and the, the good gamblers, a lot of people just blindly follow, and that sort of artificially moves the price a little bit shorter. So as much as we want to be with Liverpool, I think we've kind of missed the boat a little bit. But that, I don't think that necessarily means we should automatically just jump on Chelsea. I do think there's this sort of middle ground where the prices are about right. Um, or if they're not about right, maybe there's a slight margin for, for backing Chelsea. But I think just with the, the virus, I think it just creates so many unknowns that it's just worth taking a back seat. 
Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a feature so popular that people actually misunderstood TV chef Jamie Oliver when he was using what became his famous catchphrase, pucker. He was actually saying acker, but due to a speech impediment, the word was consistently mispronounced. Uh, just for the lawyers, he doesn't have a speech impediment, as far as I know. Uh, the way this works is that all three of us come up with a bet each, and then our lovely traders uh, wrap those up in a boosted treble. Uh, I'm going to invoke presenter's privilege and go first, and I'm going to pick Manchester City to beat Arsenal at 1.57. So I'll chuck that into the mix. To start us off, I I'm reckon Stinch might go for goals in Watford Spurs. Am I right, Stinch? You know what? I was going to back City, but you've backed City, so then I was wondering where I'm going to go, and I think you've, I think you've picked it. I think presenter privileges, yeah, we'll go for goals. <laughs> Lovely stuff. And Mark, what does that leave you with? I'll take Leicester then. Bit of an open goal, isn't it? Well, <laughs> well, we hope so, Mark. We hope so. <laughs> Tempting fate as always. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of other shows to keep an eye on, by the way. We've got NFL Only Better. The playoffs coming up very, very soon. We've got Cricket Only Better. Uh, maybe let's not dwell on England, shall we? Uh, lots of shows to keep an eye on. So go to betfair.com or check us out on social at Betfair or at Betfair. Fair Racing. Stay safe, have a wonderful New Year's and we'll be back in 2022 from Mark, from Stitch and from me. It's goodbye for now.